Dear Lord, thank you so much. Thank you for the beautiful rain. Uh, we, of course, love our climate here and that, and that um, we get so many sunny and beautiful days that it really makes us appreciate when we get just a steady fall rain. And what a glorious thing it is. So thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you that we can be here this morning. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand these concepts, to absorb them uh, so that we might have increased confidence in your scriptures and so that it might bear godly spiritual fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so this is a one-off Sunday school. I don't know if you remember that. This is uh, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about Mark, the ending of Mark. So if you would, just grab your Bibles and look so that you know what it is that I'm even referring to. Grab your Bible, go to Mark chapter 16, the very last chapter of Mark. And if you look at verse 8... At the end of it, right there, between verse 8 and verse 9, you're going to see, most likely, you're going to see some kind of brackets. And, for instance, mine, I have an ESV, and it has here in all capitals, some of the earliest manuscripts do not include chapter 16, verses 9 to 20. And then it goes on after that to include verses 9 to 20 in chapter 16. So the reason I want, I felt very convicted to, uh, to do this class is because the experience that I had, it actually started a couple of years ago when <laughs> I was starting the, the Greek class and our Greek professor just mentions in passing the ending of Mark and how, you know, yeah, it might not have been there. And I mean, he just says it off the cuff. And I just had ne- somehow in all my time of reading scripture, it just never sunk in. I never had absorbed that. He said it without thinking twice, and my, uh, my heart went down into my stomach, and I thought, what are you, ta- I, I'm like, what are you, I called him after, and I said, well, what are you talking about? And he basically was like, well, I thought everybody knew. And uh, so, because I had that experience, I, am, I, I thought to myself at that moment, okay, if it becomes my responsibility or if, it, you know, if it's within my control to, to prevent that from happening to other people, then I want to make sure I do that. Um, the most I can ever remember, personally anyway, uh, when I heard a, a previous person going through this book was just a comment at the beginning of the sermon, like, hey, by the way, you know, a 30-second commentary on, yeah, by the way, there's some information there, and then move, move right along. I want you to have more information than that. Now, if you can also pray under your breath, because the sum total, I have so much information just kind of rattling around in my head, and I just have like scribbles of notes here of all these different things that have been going on in my head thinking about these things. And so I'm going to make heavy use of the board and just be talking. And if you have questions, then I certainly invite you to ask the questions. But I will say this, the whole topic that we're getting into starts, you know, whatever ankle deep and goes like, fathoms deep in the blink of an eye. So it can get, there are people that have lots of letters past their names and their titles that have spent entire careers 
looking into these types of issues and, you know, papyri and majuscules and all of these things uh, that are beyond my scope. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that we can't talk about these things and kind of have some sense of what it is that happened and, and uh, are we able to kind of have an opinion. And I think that we can. And so I want to give you some of that information um, so, that, so that you can feel like you have an educated opinion. What I'm using, um, I've, I watched a, uh, a debate with James White and um, oh, Jeff Riddle. And just, I mean, there are, there, so there are really big names that are on both sides. You know, I, that's even oversimplifying by saying both. That, minim, that reduces it to two of long ending versus short ending. And um, it was a fascinating debate. James White was on the side of the short ending. Jeff Riddle, who authored one of the, uh, one of the Greek textbooks that I've referenced before for myself, um, was a proponent of the long ending. Um, I've gone through this book here, which is um, Perspectives on the Ending of Mark, Four Views. I also, I haven't read it in its entirety, but I've gone through in some, to some degree this textual criticism of the Bible by Amy Anderson and Wendy Witter. Um, so I'm trying to understand, and it's, I'm going to do my best to communicate what's happening here and to arm you with the information. Now, I also want to say that I think what helps us for those that were a participant in the Sunday School series uh, where we went through how we got the Bible, that is really even more important than this particular piece. Because what we're doing is we're just taking one slice of how we got the Bible and going deeper into one particular issue on the ending of Mark. So if these things, hopefully it's not blowing the top off, like, wait a minute. Uh, and so, in fact, just in light of that class, one of, the, one of the reminders, one of the big takeaways from that whole class was that we absolutely agree with, like, one of the most uh, well-known statements on, uh, on the integrity of Scripture is the Chicago statement on biblical inerrancy. Um, with, I think it had over 50, I don't know, 50 to 70 biblical scholars, these huge heavy hitters. Um, and they all came together and, and they put together this beautiful document that said, that ultimately says, we believe in the infallibility, the inerrancy of scripture. We too subscribe wholeheartedly, 100% to that. But what we have to keep in mind is in believing that, what we believe is in the, uh, the infallibility and the inerrancy of uh, the original, uh, the original text that was authored and inspired by God, which may or may not. So this is the part that we're here to talk about. Be, you know, we're most of the way, but may or may not be what is leather bound and sitting in your lap today. So besides the fact that there have been translations, there also are some spots there where uh, in, in the scribes, you know, they didn't have photocopiers, they, didn't, they weren't scanning things back then, so that means there were humans that were making copies. Things happen along the way. So this is where I don't want you to uh, have your entire faith in God's Word somehow rocked because you're like, wait a minute, I, I don't understand. It, this is the Bible. The Bible is completely true. It's infallible. It's inerrant. Uh, yes, Absolutely, that's true, but bear in mind what you have as this very nice um, edition, leather-bound or on your phone, may be in some largely insignificant ways different from the original uh, autographs, as they were called, that were authored. 
what the most significant difference is this one that we're looking at today, which is should they be there or should they not be there? That being verses 9 through 20 of Mark chapter 16. Should they be in your Bible? Should they not be in your Bible? Maybe the better question is, should we be preaching exegetically through the verses 9 through 20 in Mark 16? Or should we not be preaching those things? Well, why is this even an issue? Well, let me um, at least tell you what these four views are. I've listed them up here on the board, or I've used some um, abbreviation to do it. And even by saying four, that's, prob- that's already uh, you know, narrowing it down from what, I'm sure there are many more than four, but the book, uh, that, one book that I referenced reduces it down to four. So what we have here is the short ending. In other words, what Mark authored, he fully intended to stop at verse eight, full stop, he's done close it, let the ink dry, finished. Second view, the long ending, which is Mark fully intended to write all the way through verse 20. It's all his. He wrote it all together. It it should be there. We could subtract those brackets right out and call it good. That's the long ending. Then you get into, now you start getting into some of these other kind of um, modified views, which is, well, maybe there was an accidental shortening So in other words, um, there was something that happened to that last page of the manuscript, Um, or Mark intended to finish it, but he didn't, you know, things happened, he didn't get a chance to to finish it, and the scribes kind of filled in the gaps, and so they, they took what they already knew, and so... You know, and, and then you get into, well, then is that inspired because the scribes did? So there's some version of that kind of modified. And then this fourth one is that Mark stopped at verse 8 that, as far as the short ending, but that he also authored the other piece, but like at a later time. So like he supplemented his own gospel. So those are just at least four of the views, all right, that, that are out there. So... Where we are in history, kind of looking backwards instead of forward, and, and I, I put a little timeline up here just to give something visual so you have some sense of what's going on for those that happen to be listening. I have a, a timeline uh, that, that runs from just 100, uh, 80, 100 to all the way to, to 500 with arrows going past that. So obviously right up here at the, at the front end, this is where the history, you know, the gospel is actually taking place. It's being lived out. You know, somewhere right here between, you know, zero-ish. All right, all things are on my dates here. So don't, don't bust my chops on exact, please. But uh, uh, basically, it's, it's being lived out here through, and we know that in uh, 70 AD, you know, the, the temple goes down and everything. Essentially, uh, it takes approximately 50 years for the entirety of, of what will uh, what's considered to be the canon, what is the canon of the New Testament. It takes approximately 50 years for that to be authored. And all of that authoring is completed prior to AD 100. So, in other words, all the, I don't know a better way to put it, all the real stuff that's happening, like either it was lived out or written down, all happens prior to AD 100. Lots of debates in there about exactly when and who does what. That's not what we're looking at. So just to give you some sense of a timeline, you're talking about 50 years it took them to write all the things that are happening in the the life of Jesus. And then, of course, Paul's epistles and all that kind of thing. So then after this 100 time, 
you have this span where they're just passing around letters. There's not a, there's not, you know, uh, what they call a codex. So in other words, it's not in the form of a book. They don't have it all together. In fact, what's considered to be uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the canon of the New Testament all being together, you know, Genesis to, or I'm sorry, uh, um, Matthew to Revelation, if you want to think about it that way, actually doesn't happen till mid 300s. So like, I think it's 367, actually, to be precise, when Athanasius is the first one to kind of do that. So in here, what you have is you have all of these scrolls and things being passed around, um, and they don't have any real issue in it. And then eventually, as you get, uh, this is kind of off topic, but as you move to the right on the timeline, be, be, by the time they create and, and formalize, hey, we rec- recognize that this is the canon that's uh, inspired by uh, God, is you have some heresies that force them into that. So at this point, like earlier, back here, they're really not even that concerned about it. It isn't until you move down the road, they go, wait a minute, we've got some heresies coming in. We better, we better decide what is and what's not and that kind of thing. So that's what's going on all in here. Meanwhile, then, you have folks that are scribes that are doing copying, and that's this Alexandrian era um, of, of, uh, that take great care in, in uh, copying the scrolls and everything. And it isn't till, oh, I forget the date. I want to say it's closer somewhere between two and 300, I could be wrong in that, where it goes from scroll to codex, where it starts, they start turning them into more like books instead of grab the scroll of and stuff. I could be wrong in that date, though. I'm not, I don't feel great about that date. Okay, so why is there an issue at all? Well, this is what's fascinating. This is what we know, okay? So for a very long time, if you're starting from our perspective, meaning where we are today, and you look backwards, not forwards, but backwards, and you go, okay, those verses 9 through 20 that are contained in there, um, we ha- how is it we have them in our Bible, and why is it called into question? Well, the reason, let me get my percentage right. By the way, this is, this is good to know. Anytime you see MSS, that means manuscripts. That's the common reference. That's the common um, acronym for manuscripts, plural manuscripts, MSS. So my, my little abbreviations, so the short ending manuscripts, the long ending manuscripts. So we're on the the end of history right now where we have this long ending that's in there. And if you look back at the thousands of manuscripts that exist, I believe it's uh, in the range of 5,700 Greek manuscripts that exist. Um, And when they look at them and they say, well, how many of them include the long ending? This is what you get. Approximately 95% of the manuscripts contain the long ending. So if you stop right there, you go, well, phew, that's, that's a pretty strong argument. You know, I mean, 95% of all of them contain the long ending. Well, here's the curveball. The percentage of the ones that contain the short ending are older. And they find these, later in history, they find the earlier codices. I don't want to get too, too, too academic. But basically, they find manuscripts that predate many that they had been using here in, like, the Middle Ages. So think, um, like, the Textus Receptus is the, back, is the baseline for what is used for the King James Version. 
Well, now they find, later they find manuscripts that date closer to the, uh, to the one, you know, about 81,000. So predate the Texas Receptus by a good half century-ish. And those do not include the long ending. They actually stop at the short ending. So, with all of that in mind, that presents us with a little bit of a quandary where we say, well, okay, well, is it more important that most of them, I mean 95%, have the long ending, or that the older versions do not? Hmm, okay. It's my first time ever using both sides of the board. Woo! All right, that's right. Okay, so what this does and how this helps us, oh my goodness, um, is this frames the question. So this is what's really helpful, is you have to ask yourself, you have to make sure you are answering the right question. The, the question then is that this is what we know, is that the long ending exists in, has been, is there, scribes have, have copied it and, it and it exists, and it's, my goodness, it's in our Bibles today. But that also we know with certainty that there were earlier manuscripts that did not contain the longer ending. So the question really becomes not this, is it long, is it short? Both exist. So the question is, when you involve the scribes, these, these folks that are copying, that means one of these two things happened. They either added or they subtracted. Follow me? One of those things had to happen. So you start thinking through and you go, well, you know, this is where a lot of these folks, um, what they use is they use two different, um, uh, two different general categories. There are external evidences and there are internal evidences. So the, in, uh, the external evidences would be basically what I already talked about. So things like, all right, what's the age? Uh, how many of the manuscripts did that, uh, did that take place? Or, or do we find, you know, a given ending in? I can't even find the note I was looking for. And then your internal evidence is going to be, all right, but what about what's the vocabulary that's being used? What's the syntax that's being used? Is that consistent with the remainder of the book? So here's a for instance, all right, that really throws these things into a, into a quandary, is that in those, in verses 9 to 20, there are 14 words that are used, Greek words that are used, that you do not find in any of the rest of Mark. So you start looking at this and you go, well, wait a minute, how is it that Mark would produce 14 words in a matter of um, 12, what is that, 12, 13 verses that he's never used before that are all new just, just at the very end of Mark? So these are things that they think through, these textual critics think through, and they go, well, um, that doesn't seem... Something seems kind of inconsistent with that. So we get to this issue. That, that would be an internal issue. Of course, they even match theology. Is there some kind of theology that's being communicated in those verses? And um, that would lead to uh, a, a discrepancy of, of some kind. So when we start looking then 
um, really more at the question of did they add or did they subtract? Is there an addition or is there an omission? You start asking the questions, what would be the motivation for both, for each one? Why would you, what would motivate a scribe either to add or to subtract? So, uh, a couple of the reasons um, that were given that they may want to subtract is that um, there is a reference to this whole idea of handling snakes and things like that and drinking poison, and that if there was, um, that there was concern that that had too close of a tie to things that had to do with like Egypt and the, uh, the, the, the false gods and things like that, and that in a sense, it was an embarrassment that that shouldn't be there, that, that a scribe somewhere along the way made the decision, this doesn't seem consistent, and so they decide let's, that shouldn't be there, so let's take it down to the shorter ending. Another reason is that there was concern over, in verse 9, it talks about the timing of Jesus being seen once he had uh, been resurrected. And some folks thought that that was inconsistent with what it said in some of the other Gospels. And so for that reason, they came to the conclusion, well, uh, maybe we should take some of this stuff out because this doesn't seem to be consistent. We don't think it should be there. All right. Now, The reason, then, on the other end of the spectrum is why a scribe might be tempted to add. Does anyone anyone want to throw something out? What do you got, Steve? Okay, so in the shorter ending, there is no explicit account of the resurrection. That is correct. Okay, so... That is the number one reason. It's the, what you might say is the obvious motivation for a scribe to want to add something. Because in a sense, and I, uh, I love some of the phrases I read, it is uh, dissatisfyingly incomplete. One word was used as, well, it's just wrong. And if you look at, and of course we're going to touch on it during the sermon later, it ends then, if you look at verse 8, do you see how it ends? with some women running away that are afraid to, to talk about it. That just seems wrong. Like, uh, there's this, like, cliffhanging thing going on. Well, here's, here's the deal. So arguments, and, and this, is, this is where, this is why I put it on the board, and I'm help, trying to help you think through it, because it kind of becomes an opposite thing of what you might think. So first of all, let me mention that arguments against the short ending, which is one, uh, these are the, the most common arguments anyway, There's, there are others, but so the most common arguments against the short ending, so we'll say in favor of the longer, is that this idea of leaving a cliffhanger of just kind of, that, that idea of doing that to the end of a story is a modern convention, like, a, like somehow along the way, literary, um, Scholars came up with that idea of doing that cliffhanger thing, and so newer, that's a newer deal, and so it wouldn't have, Mark wouldn't have done that. Another reason, and I kind of got at this earlier, which is that, well, um, you know, if, if it's in a codex and, and that Matthew, I'm sorry, that Mark, Gospel of Mark, and it's that last page, that literally the last page somehow 
wasn't, you know, it got lost, it got damaged, and so for a while, they didn't, they didn't realize that it should have been longer. So that's another argument. And then the last is, and this is, I, I know, very um, academic. I don't mean academic minor, like, like scholar academic. Uh, it ends with the Greek word gar, which essentially means for. It's like a, it's a strange word to end a sentence on, let alone an entire gospel to end with that particular word. Like, I mean, it makes the cliffhanging experience like even more. Like, wait, like it just, it just drops off. Whew, like that. So for those that are proponents of the long ending, they say, oh yeah, look at all these reasons that there has to be. And, and so what you get then is for those that have those issues, they end up in the position of saying, well, there has to be something. And then you end up accepting these other things and you ignore the fact that, yeah, but it's inconsistent with how Mark even writes. And, 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 and wait a minute, it wasn't even in some of the earliest manuscripts we have. It's like you're willing to overlook those things because it just doesn't set well with you. Well, I, if you haven't picked up on it already, I am a proponent of the short ending, and which is why this is the, today is the last sermon um, in Mark, because we're going to stop at verse 8. Um, because here are some of the, the explanations. Uh, well, first of all, that weird, unsettling ending. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, that, that's the point. But as, as it relates to uh, the idea that, that open, open-ended literary technique is a more modern thing, that assumes that somehow like we're more advanced in our ability to write than they were, than the Jews were, that somehow, well, they didn't, they didn't really, they weren't that sharp. They didn't, they didn't do that kind of thing then. And the reality is since that, uh, over the last, you know, as they continue to make more discoveries of manuscripts that are older, that whether they're biblical or, or extra biblical, they have found materials that, that people have authored, uh, ancient Greek materials where they have these cliffhanging endings. So it's not as uncommon as uh, we might think or as some might think. Also, at about the second century, they uh, switched to that codex. So in other words, they go from the scroll to the codex form. So here's, here's why that becomes important, is Mark in its original, then, if that's, when, if that's when they moved from the scroll to the codex, Mark would have been written on what? Scroll. Thank you. Uh, just trying to... Mark would have been written on a scroll. Okay. Last page of Mark, all right, would have then, when you close the scroll, actually be contained inside. You're not going to lose the last page of Mark in a scroll it's actually going to be inside the scroll. So um, it isn't until later, closer to when the long ending shows up, or at least manuscripts that have the long ending show up, I should put it that way, that, that you could say you have that codex form where, okay, do you have the last page? And then also um, there have been other literature that have, have ended with that Greek word gar. So that has actually happened. Um, so, let me, oh, there's the note I was looking for earlier. Let me read a couple of quotes, because this is important to think about, and this is why um, I wanted to make sure that 
you see that the question is add or subtract. If you are a scribe, put yourself in their position. If you are a scribe and you are responsible for copying the word of God and you take this very, very seriously, are you more likely to add or subtract? I know already you're like, oh my goodness, I can't imagine either one, right? I mean, that sounds horrible. But if, if you were responsible somehow, you came to a conclusion, you're at that point, for whatever reason, in all the circumstances in your life, and there you are as the scribe, and you're doing this, you're doing your job, and you're doing it as faithful as you could do, what do you suppose you're more likely to do? Dennis has an ad. Wayne, what do you got? What what are you going with? I am. Add or subtract? Correct. Okay, more is better is what we got back there. What do you have, Sean? Yeah, they don't want to subtract. Nobody wants to be responsible for subtracting. Shouldn't be, want to be responsible for adding either, but yes, Gary. Yes. So, or at least the manuscripts that they found are older, which means it's closer to when Mark would have actually authored it. So basically what's happened, if, you, if you're more focused on quantity right here, this 95%, what you've got essentially is somewhere in here, decisions were made and then they get copied. And so you end up with lots and lots of copies. And if scribes are very reluctant to subtract anything, then even once that gets in there, even if they are able to see and know the information that, wait a minute, like let's say they knew the older ones or they knew that there was some question about it, they're not going to be the one that subtracts. Just to give you one example that I read about, so Jerome, who was the one that offered the, the, the Vulgate, he's the one that, that translated the Bible into Latin. He chose in the book of Jonah to use the word, um, what was it? Oh, to use the word gourd instead of, I think, ivy for the plant, you know, that grows up and provides shade. And, that, and because he chose gourd instead of ivy, where Augustine was when they got that version, there were riots in the street over gourd versus ivy. And Augustine ends up writing uh, Jerome a letter saying, hey, buddy, um, can you please be very, very careful? We got riots in the streets over here, over this one word. So when you keep that in mind, now you go, okay, who's going to start subtracting, right? Gary. Yeah, none of the originals exist, not one of any book. They all, and praise God, right? Because what would we do? We would worship them. That's exactly right. That, that's exactly what happened. All right, I'm looking for a particular quote in here. Oh, I think I remember where it is now. All right, so this will probably help here. This is a quote out of the, uh, the Amy Anderson and Wendy Witter book. Um, as far as basic principles... The reading that best explains the origin of other readings is probably original. So one of the basic principles is that scribes or that, that textual critics prefer the shorter reading 
because earliest Old Testament scribes considered their text sacred. They were usually reluctant to change any part of it intentionally. The earliest New Testament scribes considered the New Testament documents of high importance. Um, uh, if copyists did intentionally smooth out a stylistic difficulty or make a passage easier to understand, they were more likely to add to the sacred text than to take away from it. Thus, a shorter reading is generally considered to be more original than a longer one. However, the scribe of a shorter text may have unintentionally omitted something, blah, 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 blah. So it talks about that. Here's another quote from the book that I thought is interesting. It's not dealing with the issue of the ending of Mark, but it comments on it, and so it's still helpful. Quote, textual criticism serves an important role in the study of the Bible. People who value the Bible as God's word should be interested in the earliest wording of the text, and textual criticism helps answer this question. But it cannot answer everything we want to know. For example, it may be able to determine that Mark 16, 9 to 20, and the story of the adulterous woman in John 8 are not original to the works of Mark and John, but it cannot say whether these added texts are inspired. So what they're, they're, they're talking about the, the, the discipline of textual criticism, but even in like making a different point, the authors are saying, well, even though we can pretty much with authority say th- there is something wrong, there's something different about this ending, and that, we, that, that what we don't know is, is it still inspired, does it belong somewhere else, that kind of thing. Now, here's another, sorry, Jamie, just hang on a second. Um, Here's another thing to consider, is that um, the style of Mark. Mark is a go, go, go. He uses the word immediately a lot. And in fact, if you look at the beginning of the gospel of Mark, he doesn't doesn't provide this nice, uh, slow takeoff, the the runway um, for starting the gospel. Do you remember what it starts with? It doesn't start with his birth. It doesn't start with the birth of Jesus and Mary and the angel and all that. It starts with John the Baptist, who gets a few verses at the beginning because he's making straight the way of the Lord. And it goes straight to Jesus being baptized and God saying, here's my son. And then boom, he begins his public ministry. Bam, let's go. Lace up the shoes, right? I hope you already stretched out before you start reading Mark. So it's also consistent with kind of Mark's style, the fact that when he gets to the end, it, that thing just drops off. And I'm hoping to make a, a little bit of a point in the sermon. Uh, I'm not going to, you guys are going to be much more prepared for it in that, that thinking. But that's why then in Mark, really the fact that he is push, push, pushing on the gas and then just opens the door and rolls out, I guess, and then lets you figure out how to, you know, what to do with the steering wheel after that um, is actually consistent with, with what he's got going on. All right, Jamie, you've had your hand raised for a while. It's already on. Thank you. Among the oldest manuscripts and fragments is there any evidence of the long edition? Uh, from what I've uh, been able to see, with the, the two that they rely on that are the oldest are the uh, Codex Sinaiticus, and then hundred, which was about, uh, I believe, three hundred eighty, three hundred, and then the subsequent one that they found that's that's older than the Texas Receptus is the Codex, Codex um, Vaticanus. And neither of those have that ending. So 
and then it's and then it's past that. And then what happens is right here in the Middle Ages, once you get past uh, this patristic area, I didn't even get into that stuff because some of the early church fathers actually quote portions of the longer ending, which those that are proponents of the longer ending, they say, see, these early church fathers, they're making use of that. And in fact, they make such heavy use of it. And this takes off so quickly or uh, I don't know quickly, but over, you know, a hundred, couple hundred years, by the time the Middle Ages show up, they pretty much, it's just automatically assumed the long ending is correct. And it isn't until you later in history that they find, wait a minute, that when we study these things, we see the external evidence of there are older manuscripts that don't have it and the internal evidence that says even what's being written here is not consistent with, like, and instead of, and this is my simplification, and this is what I'm hoping maybe you take away, because at least this is what I take away from studying the whole thing, which is instead of looking at that cliffhanger and go, I, I don't like cliffhangers, can we please put a happy ending on this? I, I, I would like this to be a hallmark and not a, you know, something else where, where you just are left kind of like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, what's going on? These women, empty tomb, and these women go running off and they're afraid, and that just ends it. And I would, you know, uh, instead of us needing that to fill that space, which I believe there's, you know, the, the proponents of the short ending are saying the scribes couldn't take it. Plus, they know the truth. They're like, well, I think maybe this information should be in there. It gets in there and it sticks. That's Pete's really. The second question was related <laughs> yes. to um, the, the notion that Peter was the... Um, source of the material that Mark wrote down. And uh, any evidence or comparisons between that and the um, books of Peter? Uh, that is not, not that I know of. You are absolutely correct. And in fact, that's going to come up in the sermon as well, that, um, that Mark is essentially kind of writing the memoirs in a sense of Peter. Um, so if your question is, is it possible like that Peter wrote these supplemental you know, verses, um, I suppose I, I can I only imagine that people have looked at that. I didn't read anything like that, and I would assume that if that were the case, those that are the proponents of the long ending would certainly want to jump on that. I didn't see anything like that, but you know, for example, those fourteen words. Uh, right? Yeah. Yeah. I. Yes, Janet, go ahead. And... Um. My concern would be the content, and since Scripture verifies Scripture, there are places that, in Luke and such, that I can find some of this verified. Um, I have a concern over uh, verse 15, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation, the Great Commission. Mm -hmm. That phrase has been used for all sorts of missionary efforts. People have given their lives for that phrase. Is it quoted elsewhere in Scripture? I don't know off the top of my head. Yeah, certainly the uh, the end of the last two verses of Matthew, okay. twenty-eight verses uh, eighteen and nineteen, nineteen to twenty or eighteen nineteen. Yeah, or eighteen. To, okay, all of them, eighteen to twenty. Yes, teaching them everything you commanded, baptizing them. Yes, Steve. Uh, you mentioned the um, <clears throat> snakes and poison. Yes, and I know there are some churches that practice that and they look at mark as an example of why they should practice that right right so that's an example where the content uh, you know accepted 
yeah. influences the church. And what nobody's doing, I will say this, because this goes along with the whole, everybody's scared to subtract. What nobody's doing is saying, like that quote I just read from the, the textual criticism book is saying, this is anti-biblical, this is wrong, it's sinful that it's in there. Nobody is saying that. Basically, it becomes kind of the scientific look at it and going, this is inconsistent. This doesn't seem like it should be there. And um, how about we let Mark end where it would appear the external evidence points to and take, and take the theology based on that instead of wanting our theology to have a nice pretty bow on it. Yes. So like as a general policy, like when we are preaching sermons uh, through the text of any book of the New Testament, how, how is it you deal with, like, sometimes there might be a verse that there's a question or maybe even a phrase that there's question of what's the, how, how would you, um, or how, how should the church um, present that uh, going through exegetical preaching? So uh, a couple of things. One is, I know PJ, when we were uh, going through the How We Got the Bible series, he hammered home to everyone, read your footnotes. If you have a study Bible, know the information. Like, and that's what we're about in the Sunday school right now is don't just close your eyes and go, well, it's there. It has to be. So try to educate yourself. But if there is question, like I believe there's some question here, I'm just not going to exit from the pulpit from, you know, I'm not going to say thus say, says the Lord if there's this kind of question about it. So that's all that that's where I'm at. But I'm also not going to say, well, this has no business being in the Bible. I'm not. I don't have that kind of Gerald, were you? Oh. He said just a super quick comment. Now, I just super quick uh, point. Um, I've always looked at those verses kind of being fulfilled in Acts, right? In the book of Acts where he talks about the snakes and speaking in tongues and all that. Right. And I guess, I guess kind of along the lines we've been kind of talking about, what's your, do you think that there's anything in there, I think you've already answered this, anything in there that's, that could be, um, could change our theology specifically? No, I don't think so. I think that you can, you can draw connections to other things and probably even out of revelation to some of the stuff about, about snakes and whatnot. But um, what's interesting is that even those that uh, were, talking about the uh, the issues of, well, uh, having the problem with there being the snakes, and so that's why it shouldn't be in there, even though it was original. The, the church fathers, actually, those are the parts that they quoted, not the, not the 9 to 14 where it doesn't talk. It gets very convoluted. I probably just made things worse by, by bringing that up. Okay, Caitlin. So if the church fathers were quoting it, then isn't that like a pretty good indicator that it might actually be legit? So they were uh, here. I'm going to take the microphone. So it, that's what a lot of the proponents of the long ending were saying. But the thing is, you have to remember that there was time between when they were authored and when the church fathers show up on the scene. They aren't back to back. And those manuscripts that, that we've that have been discovered that don't have it predate these church fathers, or they're at the very beginning. So by the time the church fathers, these patristics, are getting involved, this, it's already there. So that's where it's like, well, you can't blame them because they probably didn't know any different. 
but in a sense, we, the way I would view it, we do know different, and we do have manuscripts now that demonstrate that they that they weren't there. Uh, yeah, I know it's it's really easy for us with our Bibles now to go like, why would there be pressure to add this? Because just read the other three Gospels, you'll get the ending over there, you'll be fine. But I know one of the things is we have so many more copies of Matthew than we do Mark, because if you can only afford to buy one book of the Bible, Matthew's a lot more detailed and kind of can, and is a lot longer and a lot more verbose. So I can get more of the story in Matthew than I could in Mark. So if you're going to only buy one, you buy Matthew. Well, so there's an economic component to that. Well, then if, so if people are buying these books individually and you buy Mark and you're like, I feel like I'm missing out. I only, if you only buy Mark, cause you're not at a certain point in time when this is copying by hand and stuff, people aren't buying the whole Bible because you right. can't afford it. Copying that, like there's just so many challenges that I could see the temptation to be like, well, I'm copying this. I'm doing the best I can. People are going to want to know what happens after this, and they're not buying the versions that have the ending. So let me add this, like, epilogue or whatever to it so that my the person buying this has, you know, the whole story because, uh, because they, they happen to buy the less in vogue book. Yeah, and attitudes are just going to be different when things are in process as opposed to uh, right now. Yes, Robert. We're talking about the church fathers, the earliest church fathers, the one before that era would be the disciples of the disciples, yeah, uh, you know, Polycarp and so forth. So the, yeah. uh, the uh, anti-Nicene, yes. right? And Those, they have letters, they preach sermons, and if we lost all the manuscripts, we could reconstruct pretty close to the entirety of the New Testament just yeah. from, from their writings. So... Based on what you're saying, Kayleen, if you go to the even earlier church fathers, look what they wrote and follow that, I think most people will come to a conclusion of a short ending. Thank you, Robert. Okay, we're already a couple minutes over time. Thank you. Um, lots to, to think about, pray about. And uh, again, my goal is that I, I don't want you to somebody to talk to you to bring this up and for you to just be completely just turned inside out because you never heard of this, didn't know. So feel free to study. There's plenty of material out there. All right. Lord, thank you for uh, the time that we've gotten this morning and, and uh, being able to discuss this topic. Help us always, Lord, to be wise with your word. And uh, may it never fail to do its work in our hearts and in our lives. Bless the service to follow in Christ's name. Amen.